0: It's clear that Jana is infinitely better at opportunity-giving than me, so thanks, Jana. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so tonight, as, as you, if you're on the Facebook group, you saw we're going to talk about a, really just what ministry means for Rev. Like if you're like, "Well, oh, how do I do Rev, right? Sometimes it's a question. If you're like, I like this Tuesday night thing, I want to be a part of what the Lord's doing here, and you're wondering, what does that, what does that mean? Um, And I think something you're going to see tonight is that it's incredibly easy, but also incredibly difficult. I know that's a paradox, but I think you're going to see that the the effort, the rhythm of the New Testament, what ministry is, is something as simple as get vocal about your faith, throw your life on somebody else's life, and walk together. And what you're going to see, at least if you are at least introspective tonight, you're going to realize, like, how much of your flesh, how much of your sin is going to fight against that? You're not going to want to do the seemingly simple thing. So that's why we have to go to the Word. I can't cleverly trick you into being like, I think I'm going to pick up my cross and just use my life to serve others, right? We have to have the Word and the Spirit change us uh, to be able to do that. And, and the tone of tonight's going to be a little different than, than last week, and, and here's why. Because if it's not, then I'm the biggest hypocrite ever, um, This is the stuff that we are going to talk about tonight is something that I am pathetic at. And, you know, it's even hard if you're on like some of the leadership team here. I kept telling them, like, it's Saturday. I'm still wrestling with this text. I don't know what's going on. I had just I had doubts. I was reaching out to friends. I'm thinking, like, how am I supposed to teach this in front of a bunch of people who are, you know, there's an authority to this stage in this pulpit what am I what am I supposed to do so I, I want to share two stories really quick before you think wow that guy studied Luke 10 so he must be good at this um, about five years ago I was swimming one summer at a local pool I think it was it's either called Timberline or Timber lake lake makes more sense it's water but huh Timber lake sweet and I was swimming and I was with one of my friends from high school and we're like hey you're hungry let's go to lunch so we went to Arby's and this guy's name is Rahul, and he is Hindu, or at least nominally Hindu. I think his parents are probably more strict than he was. And and we're talking, and we're talking about college and, you know, where life is going, man, how much things have changed in high school. And just Rahul, I know he's not a believer, and at this point I've read a lot of books, okay? I've read the Bible through, I've read John Piper, Francis Chan, you name it. And, and he literally looks at me, looks at me in the eyes, he's like, you know, it just seems like Life is meaningless. And then he says, I keep seeing everything is empty. (laughs) Softball, right? Like followers of Christ, they're passionate about the gospel and seeing people saved. My response in all of my study and and fervent discipleship with people is, yeah, it really is, isn't it? Move on. I haven't talked to Rahul since. And and just to, to flatten... Me, and to clear my conscience even more, two Sundays ago, I'm I'm here coming, getting ready to go to church for morning worship, and a guy comes up to me, and he's like, really need some money, so I'm like, I don't have any cash, but I'll take you to the gas station, right, it's kind of what you're supposed to do, and he's asking me, so you go to church, I'm like, yeah, I go to church, right over there, above, above Lattice, He's like, okay, wow, it's really nice. And he's like, man, I would even like to go to church. And I'm thinking, no, you don't. Like, you're just trying to get my money. And I would love to say that, like, in that moment, this is two weeks ago, by the way, and I would love to say in that moment I stepped into that, and I was like, man, like, I would love for you to go to church, and here's why. Like, Christ has done so much for me. I know what he can, he can do for you, but instead like, I gave him $20, and I don't know if I'll see him ever again. Uh, so, so whenever we, we talk about advancing the gospel—it's going to look like us deciding that Jesus and the gospel are worth changing those types of situations into situations where we step in with boldness and share our faith. So that—that's what I'm hoping t- tonight becomes. And and just to to catch you up, if you weren't here last week, the the mission of Rev. What we're trying to do is the statement is we exist to equip college students to abide in Christ and advance the gospel. So week one, we looked at abiding Christ. Week two, we looked at advance the gospel, and if you need definitions here, abiding is really what we're focusing on, your personal relationship with Christ. You have a life-giving, you know, fervent discipleship with him, and as Jan has already articulated, we think that's best done in a local church. Uh, we want you to be a part of a local church. If you don't have one, Welcome. We would love to see you on Sunday mornings and, and to join up with what the Lord's doing at MCF. But if you're also just visiting and you're just like, I just want to be out worshiping with people my age, uh, we just encourage you to plug in with your church, get close to Christ, and abide in Him with your brothers and sisters at your local church. But tonight's a little different. Whereas last week it's like, all right, abiding, God loves me, I fail, His grace is enough. And it's like, all right, we can all get on board with that. But tonight is advancing the gospel. We want to see you go and make disciples in whatever context you're living in, which obviously for most of you, it's college, right? We want to see that happen. And this is why Jana also mentioned discipleship. You'll hear us throw the word around, D-groups. That's short for discipleship groups. I guess discipleship's too long to say. Uh, but that is different than, than small groups. What that is is you saying, I want to go make disciples, and I don't know how. So will somebody train me how to do that? It's a little different where in small groups, you know, you're kind of with each other for a year and you're, you're really building that community, and that's good. But the heartbeat of what we're trying to do is we want you to leave this room, we want you to say, I don't know how to do that. Will somebody train me? And then six months, we're watching you go. I think that's the way that the kingdom spreads most effectively are people just grabbing onto the vision of this discipleship, kingdom building that I think you're going to see Jesus lay out in Luke 10. So. If you haven't already got the hint, Luke chapter 10 <laughs> is, where, is where we'll be going. And I think it's important to say that abiding in Christ and advancing the gospel are not two things that you decide. Like, you aim at abiding in Christ, getting close to him. Your life, by his grace, will transform to get you to want to advance the gospel. So you're abiding in Christ, following through in obedience to him, is going to be advancing. And I think that's the rhythm of the New Testament, right? Like, Paul's all the time saying... Here's who you are in Christ, now here's what you're going to do about it. So tonight is, what are we going to do about it? So let's look at, at Luke chapter 10. It should be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. I'm going to read 1 through 12. It says this, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages." Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable in that day for Sodom than for that town. Let's pray. Father, I just pray right now and in these moments as as we're gathering here as your people that that you would open our hearts to this that we would not see these tough challenging words um in in this gospel and and turn it off that we would not see grace as an excuse to not obey this but that grace would empower us to make this reality in our lives as a group and as as individuals lord so may our abiding in you transform us to people who want to advance the gospel uh, for your glory it's your name i pray Amen. Okay, so let's, let's look at verse 1. And I, I think it's important, if we're being careful Bible readers, we see right off the bat it says, after this. Now, reading that, you're going to think, okay, there's context here. What is the this that this is after? Why is this important? And if you look back in chapter 9, I'm not going to read all of this, but here is the this that Jesus is talking about that kind of sets the tone for him sending these disciples. And the this that he's talking about is Jesus explaining the cost of following him in different ways according to the different excuses that people had. And you'll see that in Luke 9. One of the excuses is, you know, Jesus says, follow me. And the person says, Lord, let me go bury my father first. And then the other person says, let me, let me say bye to my family first. And it's a whole entire sermon to go into those two excuses and see what that means. But it's suffice to say that Jesus did not see that as a legitimate excuse. Because he saw beyond the words and he saw the heart of those people and what they were saying is that the kingdom of God is not as important as A, B, C, whatever. And in response to that, Jesus says this in verse 62. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's one verse. Something that's easy to skip and say, okay, as it's it's grace, you know, we you know, it's easy to cry legalism when you see commands of Jesus, but but he's saying, my disciples, my people who claim to know me, no one who looks who puts his hand to the plow, who gets to work on kingdom advancing and looks back is fit for the kingdom. So people are going to be disciples of Jesus or people, if they're going to be fit to do this, so people don't look back. Proverbs 14 4. When I when I think of plow, I kind of think of, and maybe it's because I've read, I don't, I don't have experience with oxen, but I, I do think of oxen, right? And Proverbs 14:4 4 says this: where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of an ox. Now, I think there's application here for those of us that raise oxen, right? It is true. <laughs> That if there are no oxen, your manger will be clean. And if you want work done, put the ox, he won't say oxes, but that's not right, oxen to work. But I think here, as kingdom-building disciples, that the point can be applied, that where there's no work, our churches, our groups will be clean. But abundant crops, abundant harvest, people coming to know Jesus, are going to come by the strength of people to get to work. People who put their hand to the plow and don't look back because this is the most important thing to them. People who belong to the kingdom of God are people always advancing against the enemy's kingdom. That's the point. We're pushing back darkness. We're sharing the gospel. We're relieving suffering, but especially eternal suffering. That's what we're after. In 2015, there were 13,321 students at Marshall. And the kingdom of darkness, controlled by the devil, is big and it's seemingly mighty and it's scary and also the, probably the most relevant thing is that it's real in our campus. We could have 15 healthy, thriving, growing campus ministries and hardly even make a dent in 13,000. So what is God's answer? He's like, well, Marshall's lost. Can't do anything. No, by his word to our hearts, like tonight. He's saying, I want my disciples belonging to my bride to advance this mission and what they're doing. You guys could have ended up at any other college, but you chose Marshall. Best decision ever, right? You're here. You're here. And there's 13,000 some not knowing the hearts of every single person. We can. It's safe to assume there are people, maybe people in this room who belong to that kingdom of darkness. They have no shot without... People opening their mouths and God's grace working through that. So let's commit tonight as we look at this text and let it change us Now we're not going to look back. This room can, can change the whole world. You realize that, right? Like it's going to take, if five of us decide, you know what? My new normal is going to be engaging people with the gospel. You can watch out. That number is going to look a lot different in a couple of years by the time you guys graduate. So let's look back at verse 1. We're going to walk through this, squeezing everything we can. It says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Once again, the Lord himself appointed these followers of his to go. And I want you to see something. Note the amount of experience that these disciples have. Obviously, we don't know for sure, but it's safe to say that it's less than three years of following Jesus if his public ministry was three years, right? They didn't have the whole New Testament at this point, yet Jesus saying to his disciples, I want you to go and spread the kingdom of God. Which means, listen, one of the biggest tricks of the devil, and it is pervasive even in discipleship, is that we think we have to get to this point before we're able to share our faith. The fact of the matter is, you know enough now to give the message for somebody to get saved. If you're saved, right? You know enough to spread this. And Jesus didn't say, all right, I know you guys aren't quite ready. We need to go through Bible school for a while. He says, no, two by two, 72 of you, let's go. Go into this town. And it seems like that willingness and obedience is more important than a full, robust, robust, theological understanding of all the intricacies of God. Now, listen, I'm not saying that that stuff's not important. I'm saying it's easy to get trapped up in that before we actually go in advance. You guys have been there, right? Like, I've talked to you, and we thought, all right, we need to start, need to start sharing our faith. And what's the first thing we say? I just don't feel like I know enough. If you're saved, you know enough to spread the kingdom. And I think this is the paradigm shift that I would love to see just our church, I think a lot of churches are doing this already, but especially in campus ministry, we have got to make this shift from knowledge-based discipleship to obedience-based discipleship. It's so easy. I was part of this problem. I read more books than I talk to people about my faith. That's got to be heavy for us if we're going to advance. We cannot be okay with gathering up all this knowledge and never stepping in to the world of somebody so they might come to know Christ and advance the gospel. This was the rhythm of the New Testament. Take what you've heard about the Lord defeating sin and death and go share it. And then you grow in knowledge because you want to know the God who has done this. You want to know the God who is on this mission. It's interesting here that Jesus appoints them, sends them on ahead, and then we see that it's two by two. It's interesting i don't know that all ministry has to be done necessarily two by two but i think there is a principle here for us at least contextually that this type of ministry like some of us tonight hopefully you're going to respond and think you know what okay i'm already halfway ish into week two and i have not engaged with a non-believer yet i want to change that i think it's going to be important to get a partner clearly jesus had 72 and he said go two, two by two yeah you two you're on a team." And you go. And I think there's a lot of strategic reasons for this. Here's three, if you want to write this down. It's accountability for sin. It's helping each other's weaknesses. And it's also a continual reminder of the mission. If we make private decisions tonight in our own heart, then I'm going to share the gospel more. And we don't tell anybody to hold us to that. There's a chance that it's going to just be fickle and fly away, right? We're not going to continue advancing. So Jesus says, Go, I know you've only been with me, we don't know exactly how long at this point, less than three years. But I want you to go into every town, two by two. And also, we have to highlight the fact that Jesus says, go into every town. Now, there was a specific purpose. Jesus was reaching Jerusalem first, so that eventually he would reach the ends of the earth. But I think practically for us... We need to know, and if you read the whole Bible, you know the point is for the kingdom of God to spread to every corner of the earth. Jesus always sent people, it's like, all right, go into every town, go into this, go, even, even the number, 70, some, some translations say 70, some say 72. Scholars will say this matches the number of people groups in the world. He's saying, my point is to get this everywhere. So, think. Switch this from knowledge-based discipleship, obedience-based discipleship. You know enough now to go, get a partner, and go into every town. Because what would it look like? I think most of us aren't going to go past Huntington here. Some of us don't have cars, right? Can't, can't go much if you're just, can't go to every town if you're in Huntington. But what would it look like to consider every class, every department, every fraternity, sorority a place, or in every town that we have been sent to see his kingdom come? What would it look like? What would it look like if we're like, man, the nursing program, we want to pray for them, and we have nurses in this room. What would it look like for us to equip them, charge them, and say, go into your department, into your classrooms, of the people that God has placed right in your life, and you know enough now for them to be saved. What's it going to look like? So how do we do ministry? What What is Rev? Get discipled to make disciples. You're thinking, I want to do that, but I don't know how. We'll show you how, and we want to see you go. That's the point. We want to see you go. we, We do have a system, a way of training you, but ultimately we just want to see you advance the kingdom. You've been sent here on campus for a reason, and we just want to join with what God's already doing in your life. Hopefully right now through this text, right? You're thinking, man, I have not been sent. I've been kind of just... Gathering knowledge and building myself up, going to every worship night and going to church on Sunday, but have I stepped into this advancing of the gospel, which is my purpose as a follower of Christ? So every event or program is not a bad thing, but it has to be bent toward this end. That's why with Rev, you're not going to see a lot of things that we do. Because the scorecards change when you think about the kingdom of God and how it advances. I don't care as much about getting a bunch of people in here to hear me talk. The scorecard is, who are we engaging in our classrooms? Who are we meeting up with? How are we being equipped by the Lord Jesus himself to advance his kingdom? That's the scorecard. Let's look at verse 2. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So Jesus thought it necessary to give us some information for this goaling. Here's what he says. The harvest, or people to reach with the gospel, is huge. But the people willing to reach the harvest is small. The problem in ministry is never going to be the amount of people to reach. It's always going to be a lack on our part of people willing to go. We've mentioned this already, but how incredible would it be if it was normal for you to go every day in a week engaging in a gospel conversation about your faith rather than the opposite? What would it look like? Once again, remember, this is a guy who literally got the softball from a Hindu. Okay? Not not good at this. I'm in accountability groups that every week they're asking me, who are you sharing your faith? And I am ashamed to admit I've said nobody so far. That's why it's hard to stand up here. I do know that the harvest is plentiful, and I pray that I respond to this and think, okay, labors are few. There's not a lot of them. I want to join that. And what is our response to the fact that the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few? It's denoted by that word, therefore, right? It means this next thing is because of what the first thing is. Here's what we do. We pray. We pray to the Lord of the harvest. We pray earnestly with real fervor. I'm not talking kind of general airstrike prayers where we're like, Lord, save Marshall. It's getting in these people's lives enough to be able to stop the airstrike prayers and it's going to look more like shotgun or sniper prayers, right? And that's violent. But but snipers are precise and shotguns are in your face. What's it going to look like to know these people enough to pray specific gospel-centered prayers for them? And I want to ask this. like This leadership team, this church, one of the things we pray for are for college students to come so we can send them into the campus. And some of you tonight could be the very answer to prayers that we've been praying all summer. we said the Huntington harvest is huge. The campus harvest is huge. Lord, will you send laborers, people that work nine to five that can't be there. You guys can. Maybe you're the answer to that prayer. I want us to refuse to be a ministry marked by just gathering and enjoying each other. Refuse that. Let's be a ministry marked by desperate begging for God to use us in this harvest. Notice, this is hard, right? It's easy. Pray and go, but everything in us right now is making excuses. Okay, yeah, I'll start praying. The moment comes, in that softball conversation, right? what's it going to be? Let's look at verse 3 and 4. Keeps going. You get some instructions here. Jesus says, Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs. Lost my place, sorry. Lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. So after telling them to pray for people who will be sent, he's like, All right, go your way. Like, pray to the harvest, but also go. Like, there's not going to be just people that pray, and, you know, Pray if you're in a harvest, which you are if you're breathing, go. A few characteristics of our going. Here's what he says. We are lambs among wolves. Few things about how lambs operate when they're in a wolf pack. Lambs don't walk around with a swagger that says they're more powerful and bigger and badder than the wolves. It's never been the point. The wolf, like the little lamb doesn't hop on in, be like, you all want what I got? Like, no, you're lunch, right? But for followers of Christ that are these lambs sent in to the wolf pack, we do walk with the confidence knowing that the shepherd can snap a wolf's neck, right? There is a strength-filled weakness that clearly Jesus is saying, it's going to be dangerous, it's going to be hard, but the harvest is plentiful, Walk out there, go your way, but you're a lamb among wolves. You've got to rely on me. doesn't say you're a bigger wolf amongst little tiny wolves. Also, something else. We need to look around our lives on campus, and if you notice that you're surrounded by a bunch of sheep in our safe sheep pens, we might not be missional. It's easy to say, all right, we're going to go. Tuesday was good, the Lord showed up, and then we just kind of go into campus and find our other sheep and huddle in, build our fence, and talk about the wolves. That's not going. Are we surrounded by wolves that we are trying to reach with the gospel? After he says this, it's interesting. Jesus is like, all right, you don't need any money. You don't need any knapsack, no sandals. Some scholars, i thought that. I was like, why is it important to be barefoot? I'm not sure. But the scholars say that what they mean is don't bring extra sandals. So they got sandals in your feet. You don't got to turn in your Nikes. But I think what God is trying to say is that these disciples were stripped of everything that they could have found comfort and rest in. Because later in the book, in Luke 22, Jesus literally tells them to take all of these things. He's like, alright, take your knapsack, take your sandals, bring an extra tunic for somebody who might need it. But the point seems clear, that we don't need anything but God in this mission. The moment that the knapsack and the money bags of ministry become the thing that we think are reaching people is the moment that we might not be relying on God alone. Yes, those things are good tools to use. But clearly, in this going, not needed necessarily. Got to think less about what we can do to get people here, get people to our church, and and more about how can I enter their lives and bring them the gospel. And in that, you're going to find yourself needing to rely on the shepherd. You're like, I'm a little lamb. There's wolves everywhere. I need a big, strong shepherd that's able to save and able to protect Also, more context here, it's weird that Jesus tells them not to greet anybody, okay? Like, sorry, can't greet you, I'm trying to share the gospel with you. It's probably not the best strategy. Um, Jews in this day, what they would do, a greeting would be more like a sit down, have a meal, long party kind of thing. So what Jesus is saying is, the mission is urgent. Once again, don't hear me saying, no more meals, okay? It's probably a good thing to have non-believers over to your house and eat with them. But in this particular context, and applies across the board to us, Jesus is saying, there's not really time here. Don't greet anybody on the road. Don't take extra sandals. Don't take the money bag. Rely on me. Go into this wolf pack. Share and advance the kingdom. Let's look at 5 through 8. This is more specific instructions. This is harder for us contextually, but hopefully we can get this. Verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him, but if not, it will return to you, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Now, before going in, we can spend time, if you're curious about the study behind the context, like, do you think we should actually walk up in our class and like you're giving introductions, you're like, peace be to this house and like wait for the peace to rest on somebody. Maybe not the best strategy, but there's contextualization here. And here it is. I want to give you these quick pointers to understand what he's saying. First of all, you enter a house. You enter their world. There is importance in getting close to people. And saying, peace be to this house... Just know that what we're offering people who don't know Christ outside of the kingdom of God is we're offering peace with God. That's what we have. Peace be to this house is is, is sharing the gospel. And here's where it gets a little weirder. A son of peace. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. Scholars go back and forth on this, but I kind of tried to to tightrope the middle of of what a son of peace could be for us. Anyone want to write this down? It's a person receptive and responsive to our message. And I think we all know these kind of people, right? Like, you can tell when somebody's not having it, they find out you go to church and all of a sudden they have not talked to you. But you also have the people that are asking questions, right? You guys, you guys have been in that. It's it's the the atheists or even my friend Rahul who are like, you know, they're intellectually curious about what this could be. Latch onto that person because it's supernatural to desire God at all. So when you come in and you're a peace be this house, what I have is a peace of God, and one person's look. Really? Like, even if they're just wanting to make fun of you. No. God is sovereignly in control of all of this, of every sheep and every lamb and every wolf, and he just might be starting something in that person. Remaining in the same house, it uh, looks like Jesus wanted them to find a center of operations and kind of work from there. Um, also, commentators say that this was an integrity issue because the itinerant preachers or the some of the Pharisees or scribes of this day, what they would do is Use religion to get things from people. So this would be, you know, i got to go from house to house to house. I have this peace with God. You should probably give me some money because my ministry is really hard, right? And Jesus saying, you don't need to do that. Be content and don't live for yourself. Remain in the same house. And another way of saying that is he says, do not go from house to house. Also an integrity thing here. We don't need to do evangelism for the sake of saying that we did. That's why I don't want us to go out of here thinking, okay, now I know i got to share my faith. My discipleship group is going to ask me, am I sharing my faith? And you're just like, okay, person, person, son of peace, not sure. Hey, peace be to this house. And you come back, yeah, I share my faith. Not, not what he's going for. Do not go from house to house. Come in with the peace of God, armed with the gospel, armed with prayer. Look at the people. Find the ones that are receptive in your workplace, in your classroom, in your dorm. Latch onto that person and share the peace of God that you have. And also, he says, eat what is set before you. I think it's important to dignify the people by being in their world. Find the person of peace, somebody that's interested. God's clearly working. Step into that world. Stay there with them. Wrestle with them. Offer the peace of God. Hopefully God will grant them repentance and they can join the kingdom. Join your two by two as we get this thing going. So, application for us. Our ministry should not be predicated on setting up a ministry experience. We just got to join what God is already doing in people's hearts. Go into your classrooms with your eyes wide open be vocal about your faith probably not just screaming peace be to this house but be vocal people got to know if they want peace from god they're going to be they're going to go ask the people that seem to know him want people to know that you know him and look for the ones that are receptive because it's a supernatural thing for them to desire god at all we all know that in our flesh we don't desire god they want something there must be something going on a guy named Tim Chester says this, His effective gospel ministry is long-term, low-key, and relational. I like that. Long-term, low-key, and relational. Let's look at verse 9. It says this, Heal the sick in it, this is in the house that they're entering, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. So, In that moment, when you're entering in, you've ate what they set before you, you've found a person of peace, they're receptive, you're talking, you're in this world, what do you do? Heal the sick. Don't hear me say, go be faith healers, okay? I think there was a specific anointing here. Not that God still doesn't use people to heal, but it seemed like these apostles had a specific miracle, faith-filled gift in this moment, in these moments or these years or days, how long their ministry lasts, to be able to do that. But I think there's a practical application, and maybe if you've shared your faith before, you've seen this. A lot of times, the doorway in to a person's house is them sharing a prayer request of something that's gone wrong in their house. Something has gone wrong in their life, right? Like, you're in, and they might not want anything to do with the gospel, but then all of a sudden something goes wrong, and they text you, hey, pray for me, right? Yeah. Take it. <laughs> Heal the sick. Pray for the healing of that specific person. But never, ever, ever forget to back it up with the gospel. Be bold and ask God for miracles in that person's life and be ready to show them that the kingdom of God is here. I'm afraid sometimes, and this is me, we're, we're way better at becoming friends with people who don't know the Lord than we are at sharing our faith with them. And it seems here that not that friendship evangelism is bad, but it seems like Jesus has a certain urgency that should at least look like actively sharing the peace of God that we have, Right? Heal the sick. Let them know the kingdom of God has come near. So we finally get to the, the message that we're sharing. We need to let them know that the kingdom of God is here because the king of kings is one. And people need to know that because of their sin, they are born into a kingdom of darkness that is hostile to the God who created them. And people need to know that God ushered in his own kingdom with King Jesus who destroyed the kingdom of darkness when he died for all the sins of the ones who belong to this kingdom enemy kingdom. And people need to know that the king defeated our sin and death by raising from the dead and ascending to the throne of God. And people need to know that this kingdom is coming in the hearts of those who are receptive to it and demonstrate this by repenting of their sin and trusting what King Jesus did for them on the cross and empty tomb. The kingdom of God is coming and if you're a follower of Christ you're already a part of it. We can either represent it by letting people know that the battle is over and our king wins or we can some on the sidelines and watch it grow and change the lives of millions more. We're going to shift tones here, these last three verses. So we look at a sobering reality that we all have to come to grips with. Jesus says this, right after, Heal the sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near, and I tell you, it will be more bearable in that day for Sodom than for that town. The Lord literally rained fire and sulfur on Sodom in Genesis. He's saying the people that reject your gospel, it's going to be worse for them. They're going to experience eternal suffering forever. He destroyed Sodom. It wasn't there, and the person who looked back was destroyed. The tragic part of being a part of this kingdom is that for those who do reject our message, they don't get to just ignore this reality. This isn't something we can be indifferent about. And it's okay. We're so, our generation's so turned off by hellfire and brimstone preaching, but we've kind of swung so hard the other way that I, I want you to know that, that the people who, who die and live and die apart from the kingdom of God, it's worse for them then fire and sulfur raining on their heads until the city's gone. They face judgment that is worse than anything. It's okay to feel the weight of that judgment of God on people who reject this message. The question for us, an attempt to glorify God by abiding in Him and advancing the kingdom, are they going to face this judgment because they rejected our message from our mouths? Or will they face this judgment because they never heard it from us? That's where we're at. You can walk in and out of your classrooms for the next eight or ten semesters and leave and look back and think, I had this giant mission field of of advancing the gospel. People who are already under judgment because of their sin. And I miss it. Every relationship we make this year, if we do not actively demonstrate this message that can allow people to experience peace with God it be fair to say that at least functionally we either don't believe in God's wrath or we don't love that person. Here's the thing. Guilt, shame has no part in the kingdom of God. If we hear that and think, I'm guilty if I don't go do this, that's a terrible motivation. Your motivation For wanting to see people come into the kingdom of God and join a good biblical church and continue this mission two by two relying only on God. It has to be focused on God's glory. You've got to want to see His kingdom come more than you love people because in that wanting to see it come your life will overflow with this kingdom language and offering peace from God that only comes through the gospel. Long for the day that the kingdom comes in full. And yes, all enemies and enemy kingdoms will be destroyed. We'll be home. We'll get to see what we ultimately want more than anything. That's God's glory in every town, every city, every state, every country all over this world. Let's pray right now um, to the Lord of the harvest. And if you are like... Something in my life needs to change. Find somebody afterwards. Go get your two-by-two two and think, do I want to see God's kingdom come in my life? What's that going to look like? Let's pray. Father, I, um, I know that my first step here to, to dedicate and, and, and commit my life to, to advancing your kingdom is to repent for all the moments that I haven't done that. I'm, I'm uh, humbled that uh, you would still speak in a way through your text that, that, that by your grace you give us forgiveness for the times we've failed, but also that same grace can, can somehow spiritually motivate us to, to long for your kingdom so much that we offer the peace that comes from you to people. So Father, we are praying to you right now as the Lord of the Harvest. You would take this group. I don't think we quite have 72. <laughs> but Father, I know that, that you're working here and that your word does not return void. So I just pray that, that as we get ready to sing and as we, we hang out and eat snacks, there would be a marked difference in our souls. And we would go into Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday and the rest of the semester as lambs among wolves relying on you to save. So God, we need strength and power and forgiveness and you to do this. So we'll ask in your son's name. Amen.